day to Bible study here at St. Paul's. We're glad you're with us here or on the KFUO radio. And so for the past uh, year, we've been spending a lot of time on uh, the Apostle Paul and his letters. Uh, today's the last day that I'm teaching before summer begins, so I thought we'd do something different today, very different. So we're going to go back into the Old Testament today. And I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, because we're going to talk about the prophet Elijah. Now, there are some stories, some accounts of what Elijah did in the three-year lectionary in one year for several weeks. But um, I thought we should, could spend some time on that today. And so before we begin, we need to kind of put things into historical perspective about what time was this? Well, we're thinking about the time between 870 and 850 BC, okay? Several hundred years after they had come across the Red Sea, um, David was long gone, Solomon, uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son had uh, basically been responsible for splitting the kingdom because of decisions he made, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Jeroboam went north with the 10 tribes, with 10 tribes, and immediately introduced uh, false gods. And that became the norm for the north. Uh, they were the first to totally fall away from God. And um, so um, the king that we're going to be talking about most with Elijah is Ahab. But his father was Omri. Now, let me read you a summary of the epitaph of Omri. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all those who were before him. That's nice. For he walked in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. So then this Omri has his son, and it's Ahab. Ahab continues in the way of Omri. Now, the basic god, and we'll oversimplify this a little, but was Baal. Baal was considered the god of the storm, or the god of the wind and the god of rain and thunder and lightning. And they prayed to this god of Baal that he would provide rain so that the crops would prosper and that uh, they would succeed in their farming. So uh, the god of the storm. Now, with that little introduction, 
with Ahab in power, then let's go to 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So in other words, Elijah tells Ahab, it's not going to rain. There's not going to be any dew, and there's not going to be any rain. This is significant because he is basically proclaiming it's not Baal that controls these things. It's God. Okay? It's God. And you can trust in Baal all you want, but your trust is misplaced because it is the God of Israel that is going to see to it that it doesn't rain. And it didn't rain for about three, three and a half years. Three, three and a half years. So that was his decree. Now, we all think of Elijah as this firebrand prophet, but then something very interesting happens immediately after he makes this proclamation. Verse 2, And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So he made this powerful proclamation, it's not going to rain, and God sent Elijah into the wilderness. Now, this little brook was not much. What did the ravens eat? Roadkill. This was not a great diet. A little water and roadkill. Now, we got to stop and think here about the great men of God. The great men of God always had their time of preparation. Moses fled Egypt, but he was in the wilderness, saw the burning bush, and was there for some time before he came back to lead the children of Israel out. It was a time of preparation for him. The apostle Paul was converted, and as we talked about earlier, there's a long period of time, 11, maybe 14 years, where he, we don't know where he was. It was his time of preparation 
changing from the greatest persecutor of Christianity to the greatest proponent of Christianity. That didn't happen overnight. Elijah, we see here, is going to spend his three and a half years in the wilderness alone with God. Okay? In preparation for all that will come. God uses these times, and maybe you think you've been through one of those times too in your life, where things just weren't right, when things weren't like you wanted, when it was you and God. So this is one of those times. He's out there all alone. And you can see why he was in the wilderness, drinking from a brook, eating what the ravens brought. You can begin to see why he's likened the foreshadowing of John the Baptist. Okay. See that? So he's in this time of preparation. So we move on. Finally. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise to go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So that's a little odd as it is, because no one was ever to take advantage of a widow or an orphan. It's throughout the Old Testament. So for Elijah to have to go and rely on a widow to take care of him is a little, he had to swallow hard. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. Now, it hadn't rained for three and a half years, folks. Bring me a little water is kind of a big request. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. So Elijah is giving her direction. This took a lot of faith on her part to do this. She had only enough food for her son and her to have a last meal. And Elijah shows up and says, make me something first. Make me something first. 
And then he says, for thus says the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So the woman acted in faith according to the word of the Lord and her and her son's needs were met from that point on. Right? What does that teach us? What does that teach us? Plan. Yeah, you know, um, it's not always easy. And it's not always, he's not always promising we're going to be rich. But it's an act of faith. God knows our hearts. Okay? God knows our hearts. Now, he may not always answer the exact way we want him to. But he still calls upon us to react in faith to his word. So, um, Elijah is setting an example for us here, pointing the people to stop trusting these other gods and trust the God of Israel and put their faith in his word because he's the only one that can supply. Our source for everything we have is always God. We shouldn't see other things as our source. Your job is not your source. Your job is a gift that God has given you the ability to do and is a gift, and through that, he provides for you. But God is always our source. God is always the one, and his word is always reliable. So, next account. Now things get difficult for this widow. Very difficult. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. So, you know, here's, here's the widow. 
This man shows up. They have plenty of food. And suddenly her son dies. And her question is basically, why do I deserve this? What have I done? Oh, man of God, did you just come up to show, to remind my sin to God so this would happen to me? And she is upset. So are we. How many times in our lives are things going real well and we think God is really blessing me and the bottom falls out? And what's the first thing we say? God, why are you doing this to me? Okay. And we forget all about his goodness. Children of Israel did this constantly. Brought them across the Red Sea. They forgot. Gave manna in the wilderness. They forgot. Gave meat to eat. They forgot. We are that way. This is our sin. So he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from his arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. Notice that Elijah performs this miracle in a quiet place. He's not seeking great accolades. Remember Jesus at times. Remember the little girl that died. He only took Peter, James, and John and the parents with him. Uh, he did not do this in front of uh, great crowds. Okay? And he took uh, him from her arms and carried him into the upper Okay. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? You might think, uh, well, it sounds like an indictment from Elijah. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Okay. I'm here. You blessed this widow. You blessed her son. And now he's dead. Now he's dead. What, what, what are you doing here? But notice he doesn't. He doesn't blame God for as if he's punishing the widow for a certain sin. Okay. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again. And he revived. Now, this is a foreshadowing of Christ raising the dead. This is a foreshadowing. Elijah was just a man. Jesus Christ had the power over death. This is a foreshadowing of Christ coming and overpowering death, overpowering death. Um, I mean, you can, you can talk about the three times, that's okay, 
Um, the Lord listened, and Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. One of the reasons that Jesus Christ did miracles was to prove that his word was true. The difficulty with the people at Jesus' time was that they uh, saw the miracles and wanted just the miracles. The miracles were to show the word of God was true, that this Jesus Christ spoke the word of God. They just wanted the miracles. And even when they saw the miracles, they didn't believe. Okay? Jesus would perform a miracle, speak his word, and what would they say to him? Show us a sign. Show us another miracle. They did not believe in the word of God. That was the bottom line. They didn't believe the word. So they would not believe the miracles. Because Jesus did not do miracles just to have fun. He did them to show that the word was true. Okay. So Elijah here does the miracle, and the result is the woman believes that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Okay? The word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. All right. 18. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Now, this is the third year. It has not rained. Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to him, show himself to Ahab. Now, the famine was severe. Now, there's a whole thing here about um, uh, Obadiah. We're, we're going to skip that part. I want you to go down to verse, um, let's see, let's go down to 11. Now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone, this is Obadiah, from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although your servant have, uh, ha, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my mouth. So let's go on down now to 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, 
Ahab said to him, it is you, you troubler of Israel. In other words, Ahab is blaming Elijah for the fact that it has not rained for three years. He is pointing the finger. But notice what Elijah says. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Let's add that. You know, great Jezebel, that was Ahab's wife. What a pair. Okay? What a pair. Jezebel was Ahab's wife. So, Elijah is calling out Ahab, not only Ahab for introducing Baal worship, he's calling out all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah. And, and the thing is, so there's 850 of them, and there's one of him. I heard a great sermon once, a long time ago. God plus you is always a majority. God and you is always a majority. No matter how many people might be lined up on the other side. So basically, he calls them out. Now, the rest of 18 is one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament. And we're going to go through it, see what we've got here. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? It's limping. It's, it's kind of like dancing around two different opinions. You're dancing around it. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to worship? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. How many times did Jesus ask the Pharisees a question and they sat there in silence? Same thing. Right here. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left, the prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God. And I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So this is a full-blown contest. Okay? A full-blown contest between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And the people agree to it. 
Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. And there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. He is amusing, is musing, or is relieving. In other words, he's going to the bathroom. That's literally what he's saying. He's going to the bathroom. Okay? Or he's on a journey. Or he, perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the appellation. And there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. All right. So nothing happened. Absolutely nothing. All right. Now, time is approaching as the day moves on for the evening sacrifice. That will be the time that Elijah will offer his sacrifice. Several notes here. Notice that he chose for the sacrifices bulls. This is a reminder. This is a sin offering in Israel. Okay? The Baals were not about to think that they needed a sin offering. But Elijah knew that he was a sinful man. So he offers a bull. He says, come to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Who knows how long it had been. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. I want you to think here. Long time from now. Because there would be another altar made on a mountain. Would be made of wood, would be made, it's a cross. Don't fail to see here that this is a, a figure of pointing to the future. 
when not only would a sin offering be made for Elijah, but a sin offering would be made for all people on the cross. This is a foreshadowing of that. And so he put it in all order, and then he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Where are you going to get four barrels of water on the top of a mountain when it hasn't rained for three years? The best guess is they had to carry him down and get water out of the sea and bring it back up. This would have been the Mediterranean Sea. And it would have been salt water, which adds another little feature to the sacrifice because sacrifices in the Old Testament were always offered with a little salt. It was part of the sacrifice. But just up the theatrics, they jump 12 barrels of water on this altar. 12 barrels. Okay? He says, do it a second time. Do it a third time. And the time of the offering of the oblation... Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, that's pretty spectacular. We would love that to happen today. There's a whole lot of people we want to see this. Okay. But the fact is that here they did. Today, God calls us in faith. He uses little things. And we'll get to that if we got time. I, I'm trying to get this through this. So what happens here is they, um, they seize all the prophets of Baal, and they take them down, and they slaughter them. They kill all 450 prophets of Baal. All right, so I'm going to tell a little bit of the story now. We don't have time to read it all, and I want to get through part of 19. So Elijah has just had this victory over the prophets of Baal. Huge victory. Jezebel hears of it and is irate, is irate. Now, the first thing Elijah tells Ahab is, you better get to town because it's going to rain. And Elijah sees a little cloud and it gets bigger and bigger and suddenly there's a torrential rainstorm. 
Elijah gets caught at it. He's going back to Jezreel. But then a fun little thing happens on his way back to Jezreel. He is in a chariot riding as fast as he can. And he looks out of the back of the chariot. And here comes Elijah. Elijah outran his horse-drawn chariot to Jezreel. Just for fun. You imagine Ahab going along in his chariot and Elijah passes him. Okay. And gets to Jezreel. Well, when he gets to Jezreel, Jezebel says, as sure as he killed the 450 prophets, I'm going to kill him. And then something, one of the great turnabout tragedies in the Old Testament. Elijah, this mighty prophet, who's just called down the fire of God, turns and runs. He flees because he's afraid of Jezebel. Suddenly, the mighty prophet calling the people to repentance and faith is filled with fear and flees. And so um, he lays down, goes to sleep, and an angel feeds him. You can read that on your own. But finally, he gets to the mountain of God. We're talking Mount Sinai. We're talking Horeb. He walked from northern Israel to the mountain of God, someplace between four and 500 miles. The food that the angel gave him to eat kept him strengthened for 40 days as he made this trip. For 40 days. All right. So, he gets to this cave at Mount Sinai. We've all heard this story. Starts at verse 9 and 19. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Now, you know, we always think of God coming in his might. Wind, earthquake, fire. He did not. He came in a still, small voice, a whisper. You see, that's the way he comes to us in our lives today. It's not the mighty. It's the still, small voice. It's the Word of God that we read when we're sitting at home by ourselves, and it speaks to us. It's the everyday things that we witness, like the baptism of a baby in church with a little water and the Word. It's coming forward to the communion rail, and in a private moment, God speaks to you, this is my body, this is my blood, given for you for the forgiveness of sins. It's the still, small voice of God speaking to us in our lives. And it happens all the time, but we're sitting around waiting for fire, earthquakes, and wind. When he's speaking to us in a still, small voice. So, and what does he ask him now in the still, small voice? What are you doing here, Elijah? And he gives the exact same answer he gave the first one. He's not going to mess around with God. He's telling the truth. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return. I think that's one of the best lines in the Bible. A guy walks 450, 500 miles, and the first thing God says, Go back. You shouldn't be down here. Go back. That'll get your attention. Go back. Now, notice he doesn't rely, he doesn't allow Elijah to rest on his self-pity. He gives him things to do. Go your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shephet, of Abel-Meholah, 
you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. And then notice what he tells him. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, Elijah thought he was the only one left, and God tells him there's 7,000. Okay. There are 7,000 who still believe in me. So Elijah goes back, finds Elisha. We're out of time. But keep reading. Okay, you read the rest of it. Where he points Elisha, this great prophet, you know, we, we probably the, the, we see this greatness in uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Who were the two prophets that appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Elijah and Moses. Okay, Elijah and Moses. Uh, and Elijah has that distinction, if you recall, of being taken up into heaven by a whirlwind. He did not die. He was taken straight to heaven. But in his life, we see the foreshadowing of the greater prophet, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And it's very clearly there. Okay, we only got a couple of minutes. I did all the talking, but I intended to. All right. Any comments? Read the rest of Elijah. Continue here for a couple of more chapters worth reading. All right, it's been a joy to teach throughout this year. I will see you in September. What is happening next week, I do not know. Okay? So, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.